Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, looking at a psalm today, Psalm 48, another one of these psalms of the sons of Korah. Uh, it's been a lot of fun going through these first uh, several psalms of Book 2 of the Psalter. These, all, all these are uh, psalms of the sons of Korah. They, they're a little bit different, you know, from the Psalms of David, and, and it's really interesting to kind of look at that and think about, you know, what kind of different situation uh, was going on. Um, you know, it's not a Davidic Psalm, but that doesn't mean that it's not about a king or the Messiah or even the house of David, you might say. You certainly see that, this language of Mount Zion, the great king, the citadels. Uh, so, yeah, it, it seems like, you know, kings are definitely in view here. But uh, this, this stuff later about, you know, the east wind and Tarshish, I mean, this is uh, is, is interesting stuff. We're going to have to uh, really put our heads together and parse some of this stuff. Looking forward to the conversation today with our guest, Pastor David Boisclair, pastor at Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. So good to have you back, brother. And uh, this, is, this is a neat psalm here. You don't always get psalms that have all these... Um, specific names, but uh, wow, you know, uh, Tarshish, that's, uh, there, there's one to, to bite off and chew on. Absolutely. It's, it's really an exciting psalm, and it's a beautiful psalm as well, and, and it really teaches us something about the way God's people were organized at the time of the uh, Davidic kingdom and before. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that, that's the right balance, right? It, it's uh, speaking to a situation at a particular time, but but you're right. It it also speaks to us, even if we're not, you know, shattering the ships of Tarshish, right? There's there's a uh, more than a few ways where these sorts of patterns repeat themselves, um, as we keep seeing again and again. Uh, so yeah, even if we're not literally on Mount Zion, uh, we still count ourselves among the. The, the daughters of Jerusalem, we might say. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be good to look look through this psalm here. As we get started, would you open us up with a prayer? I'd be honored. Let us pray. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, you, O Lord, shine forth as the God of our salvation. Grant that we may sing your praises with the sons of Korah and learn from them how blessed we are to be members of your temple the Holy Christian Church, built not with literal stones, but with the living stones of the apostles and prophets, and we, the people of God. Jesus Christ, being the chief cornerstone, send your Holy Spirit that we may read and cherish your word of life that makes us wise unto salvation in Jesus our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, what else should we be keeping in mind here for this? Uh, now, what is this? This is the, uh, let's see if I can count, would this be like the sixth or maybe the seventh psalm of book two, another one of these Korahite psalms? Like, what else should we be thinking about um, uh, before we go ahead and give this a read through? Yes, um, it, it is um, uh, started with Psalm 42, which which really looks like uh, you know Psalm forty three is a continuation of that, um, but mm -hmm. but in, anyway there's the division so you'd have the hundred and fifty psalms, 
Um, right. The, the uh, uh, commentators tell us that this is an Elohimic uh, psalm uh, rather than a Yahwistic or Yahweh psalm. In other words, uh, in this book of, of the Psalter, uh, they, they basically address God as Elohim. Or, or speak yeah. of him as Elohim rather than Yahweh. In the first book, of course, uh, Yahweh is used almost 300 times. In this one, uh, Yahweh is used less often, and uh, Elohim is used uh, just under 200 times. Yeah, so there, there are interesting patterns like that. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's really important to look at actually the name of God stuff, because I, I think it, um, actually just recently, just in... in um, chanting some of the psalms with my my little girls like i've been thinking about how i i think that the name of god and the different ways that god's addressed are actually very deliberate uh, ways of pacing and structuring the psalms kind of like we saw when we looked at the uh, ten commandments in exodus that um the, the name of god is, is is actually a little bit of a s- indirect signal to saying hey this is a like another thought or a new section or um it's not just a throwaway um so so those patterns of the name of god also, uh, another thing that strikes me is that even though I, I think all of these in Book 2, uh, as you say, though, uh, the first two psalms uh, per- perhaps uh, being originally a unity, um, yes. have this, you know, this superscription of the sons of Korah, uh, but the, the first, uh, I guess, depending on how you count, five or six, also have a to the choir master, and this one doesn't. It's just a song. So... This is a. Uh, this one's. I think it marks a little bit of a change up, right? Like it's 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 very much like the first several in book two, but this one's like up to something that's a little bit different. And, and you know, it's interesting that um, if you look at Psalm forty-seven, it's that is the psalm for the ascension of our Lord. You know, I mean, you can use mm-hmm. that for that. Uh, this psalm, uh, at least in the uh, Hebrew and Jewish worship tradition is used for Pentecost, which sort of comes mm-hmm. after, uh, you know, ascension, at least for, for Christians. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it basically is, is um, um, a, you know, they, they, the sons of Korah were, were um, uh, doorkeepers, you know, like, uh, as I say in, in Psalm 84, you know, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell yeah. in the tents of wickedness. And and uh, and they were they were also responsible to sing. And it's also uh, interesting to look at uh, you know what what they're trying to do. They're really trying to enhance their uh, you know their family name because their their ancestor Korah was one of the uh, rebels uh, at the in the time of uh, Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness with Dathan yeah. and Abihu in number mm-hmm. sixteen. And uh, so so they're they're really. Um, uh, and and it's and they're really emphasizing being in God's temple, and and that's where God has placed His name, and and it is and it, it and you know you have the, you know Psalm I love Psalm eighty four. It's a, one of the most beautiful pieces of literature there ever was, and where the people are going up to the house of God, and and uh, you know they they just count they they just rejoice as they get closer and closer. And and uh, the the sons of Korah are very very mindful of that. Yeah, I I think that you're right. It is uh, just particular. I mean, they all are beautiful in their own way. But this one is uh, it demonstrates a kind of complexity. I think too that um, 
not, I don't know. Uh, I, I think the first several um, are, are kind of a little bit doing, uh, doing their own thing. Kind of, as you were saying, this like, uh, you know, going up to the house of God and, and this, this has that theme here, but um, it's, this is really interesting the way that you have this kind of particular focus, this um, holy mountain uh, perspective on that too. That's a, that's a really big, um, description, a really, a really big theme throughout the Old Testament. It goes back to, I mean, I mean, it's there in like, Exodus, I want to say. So um, it, it, it that's one of the ways it stands out. So there's there's a lot going on here that makes this one special. Um, but, you know, let's go ahead and we'll, we'll read it through um, medium length here, uh, and then we'll kind of turn to the top here, and, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, this different superscription. But let's go ahead and read it through first. So we'll start from the top. This is the English Standard Version here with the superscription in the original language. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king, Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight, trembling, took hold of them their anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we've heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God which God will establish forever. Selah. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple, as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. I, uh, one thing that stands out to me it reminds me of, I'm trying to remember which one of these Korahite Psalms, um, you know, I think it actually maybe was 47, that there is this, um, I feel like there's this kind of redirect going on where there's all this emphasis in 47. I, I think I think if I'm recalling this correctly, uh, it's like an enthronement Psalm. And so like maybe it was, um, you mentioned like the Ascension. That's right, that's right. It's coming back to me here. So like originally it may have been used as, um, uh, an ascension psalm in the sense of, you know, when a new king comes um, onto the scene. And, and you know, so the focus would naturally be on this new figure who's taking over, um, you know, in the house of David, perhaps. Um, and so probably. And there's a redirect, though, saying, well, but who's the most high? Uh, who's actually the king, right? It's it's God. And so similarly here, it, I, that's something that kind of jumps out at me. It seems like it's, it's almost like Psalm 48 saying... So you, you, you take a look. Take a look at this. You see this citadel. You see this uh, this fortress. You see this um, this palace. You, you know. You see this this mount. Well, the real fortress is God. You know. So it's it's really interesting coming after forty seven where it's um kind of like uh, you had the person redirect and now it's the place redirect 
where it kind of has that same feeling like a, a mighty fortress, you know, Luther's hymn. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and uh, it, it, in, in a sense, in this in this particular uh, psalm, of course, they're they're extolling, uh, you know, the the great capital of uh, you know the um, Old Testament kingdom, you know, of of Judah, and uh, well, of course, of all Israel before they they were divided, but uh, in this particular case, is that God God is the one who is. Uh, is present now. Of course, uh, you know you you see a lot of uh, circumstances in the history of Israel where, you know, people maybe took that uh, took that and ran with that a little bit too far and saying, well, they won't destroy the temple, they won't destroy Jerusalem because, like right. in the situation with Hezekiah, uh, you know, it's right. interesting that uh, Leupold, who's one of the commentators on the psalm, says that this is this psalm seems to be a psalm that may have been sung at the time uh, of the deliverance from Sennacherib's army at the time of Hezekiah, mm-hmm. which is just before uh, 700 B.C. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, of course, and then you have other ones saying that it was like Jehoshaphat and so on. But, the, but here it's a situation where, you know, Hezekiah humbly comes to uh, the Lord and lays before him the the threat of Sennacherib and uh, you know in other words uh, Hezekiah isn't a fool to think that just because the temple is there or just because this is the capital of of the Old Testament kingdom that God is simply going to automatically protect them uh, you know yeah. it, 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 there there is a responsibility for the people to be on God's side themselves through repentance. And and that and, and yeah. like in this particular case, uh, it it it's that when when the when you know, the Holy Spirit causes the people to be faithful to God and they they are turning to Him for help, that that he, he you know it's like then 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 uh, uh, the daughter of Zion uh, you know looks with spite upon uh, it, the enemies of God's people, and and this is a this is a you know keep bear well in mind look at look at this citadel look at this look at this yeah. uh, capital here this is and then this and guess what the god who dwells here mm-hmm. among his people <laughs> is going to protect and and uh and, and and strengthen his his place of worship yeah i think that that's uh it's for me it's like a helpful suggestion like what you're saying leipold saying that you know maybe this is uh you know almost something like in response or even like a way of thanksgiving uh following the uh, rescue of of Jerusalem from the Assyrian army, you know, and we saw that in Isaiah, how um, the angel of the Lord goes into their camp and strikes down this huge number of them, and uh, you know, crisis averted. Well, I mean, for for the time anyway, um, you know, before the Babylonians come back. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it is interesting, and I, and I don't think that's like unfounded speculation either, because like you were saying, um, I think your comments really get at this that. You know, there, there's a particular perspective that that you have where you're at in history, and you know, I, I think I think you're right that you know uh, God's. I mean, even before Jerusalem was destroyed, you know, like the right godly perspective was never that like, oh well, it's this and it's like automatically, you know, like this mountain's invincible or something. I mean, they they took it from the Jebusites, right? If I'm recalling correctly. Yes. So it can yes. be it can be taken again, um, but but then right that once once you have um, kind of the high point of hubris, um, which even Hezekiah fell into, right? Like his father's. Um, 
you know, like there, there, there was maybe a little bit of this um, overly triumphalistic, almost idolatry of, of place or of uh, the temple, even the building, the edifice itself, right? And uh, you can, yeah, in yeah. some ways, it, it's hard to imagine that this would be a psalm that you would compose this way after Babylon comes and destroys everything, right? I mean, like you just your, your tone would change. Like I remember uh, hearing recently that. Just, just how much in the arts and in entertainment, like the the tone of of movies and TV shows and video games, like everything shifted after nine eleven. Like it went from like this what was at the time very triumphalistic, like ah, oh, just everything is great and you know like we can be kind of like really goofy and um, kind of unrealistically um, happy go lucky in all our depictions of things, right? But like after nine eleven, it was just like you can't do that. It, it's like it almost would have felt like disrespectful and just kind of uh, just kind of i don't know just deliriously naive and so uh, yeah I, I think that's a really interesting take on it that it's like uh, you, you probably wouldn't write this psalm the same way talking about hey check out these citadels and and um these ramparts uh after babylon so it's a, i think it's a helpful suggestion Right, and, and, and in this case, uh, we're reminded of what St. Paul said, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It, it's kind of like a boast, but it, it, it's, it's like our boast of God, our, God being our God, and being the true God, and being the God who dwells among his people, and, and the God who will, will protect them. And, uh, you know, the, those who are enemies of God's people better take it in. And, and, and you have here, you know, with, with considering Jerusalem, of course, it is also a, um, a, anti, or a type of the church. So, so Zion and, and Jerusalem are, you know, Zion, of course, is the mountain where the temple's on. And, and um, uh, Jerusalem is, is like... Uh, the Old Testament type or or picture for uh, of of God's people, the church. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, like I remember when we were going through Revelation chapter fourteen, um, then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him the hundred forty four thousand who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Um, and how that's contrasted, in fact, with apostate Jerusalem, right, and all the things that are said there. So, I mean, like, I think there is a strong similarity there that, um, that you're getting at, that this is, I wonder I wonder if this is actually, like, a little bit, not not quite at the level of, of revelation, right? Because, I mean, there it's, like, really clear. Like, there's a there's a good Jerusalem, a good Zion, and a bad one. Um, but maybe yeah. this is kind of like maybe the precursor where almost like this Korahite is uh, kind of saying, you know what, guys, like, it's really great that we love our city and we love our palace and we love our temple, right? Love, love this mountain. It is truly fantastic. But let's just make sure that we, you know, keep the right perspective and that we're really celebrating God. Like you were saying, you know, like, let us boast in the Lord. You know, so you, you wonder uh, if, if maybe there is almost like a gentle corrective in the way this is structured. Like maybe Psalm 47 was like, okay, yeah, you know, the king is great. And yes, he, he is, you know, God's chosen one and all the rest. But, you know, it's really God. So, so that kind of um, celebrating with his brothers, but, but trying to also put things in context. Exactly. Well, let's look at the, speaking of context, so let's let's go ahead and take a look at the top here of Psalm 48. So a song, a song of the sons of Korah, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer to this question, but 
any strong feelings or 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 maybe even just creative suggestions on why this one isn't to the choir master like all the other ones so far in book two well uh, yeah, I think that the sons of Korah themselves are choir masters or they're they're uh, in a sense they're the ones that lead the uh, songs of God's people um and and so um in a sense, maybe that's kind of connected in it, but it is. It, it means that they are the authors of it. You know, a lot of times you right. may have two, uh, like two uh, David or of David for uh, um, maybe for Asaph or Asaph for David or the sons of Korah for uh, uh, someone. You, you you know, it's interesting is these these uh, superscriptions. Um, you know, maybe give the uh, musicians a, a cue as to how they're going to uh, accompany the singing of this psalm. And then you co- have in verse 8, of course, at the end, you, they, they always seem to have the, the word selah, which means uh, to, uh, you know, an increasing uh, uh, volume, or in other words, you know, bring the music up or something like yeah. that. It's sort of like a, uh, but, but, you know, you have here like a hymn, you know, where where uh, in 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 old hymn books, uh, in, mm-hmm. you'd have like um, you know the meter that you'd use, and you'd have right. uh, all, you know the the tune you would use for it uh, to, uh, because it's uh, poetry, and and so uh, you know it seems as though this is like something in line with and, and what they want to do uh, with um, uh, worshiping God as in the context of of the temple and and but here of course the city of Jerusalem. Jesus of course quotes this when he talks about not to swear by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. So yeah, in yeah, uh, right. Matthew chapter 5, yeah. Well, you know, and I think there are there are of course a lot of similarities between this and the previous psalms. I I think that that phrase there the city of the great king, well particularly the, the great king, right? Um is back in 47:7 that we had uh, for God is the king of all the earth, right? So it's very similar language. Um, or, or yeah, back in verse two, there it is, a great king over all the earth, right? So um, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, it is it is interesting, just so like, just kind of like going over it quickly and then we'll just need to move on. But uh, 42, which as you said, uh, is probably meant to like be um, the first half of, uh, 42 and 43, the one that could get used independently as well. Point being that 43 is not independent. It's it's like either the second half of 42 or, or you know, that, that's just kind of what it's used for. It's just kind of optional, um, like, yeah. like you have in music sometimes. Uh, but in 42, you got to the choir master, a maskeel of the sons of Korah. Uh, then we, we talked about 43. 44, to the choir master, a maskeel of the sons of Korah. 45... Uh, yeah, here is this is the kind of unique one to the choir master according to lilies, a maskeel of the sons of Korah, a love song. So that that one's like okay, now this is a little bit different. Um, so still choir master maskeel, uh, but it's you know to the lilies and uh, a love song. So we talked about that. It's the only psalm that has that. Uh, Forty six to the choir master of the sons of Korah according to Alamoth, a song. So a little bit different. And then this is uh, the most different then, I think. It's 47, just to the choir master. Uh, I'm sorry, one more. Uh, to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. And then 48, just a song, a uh, psalm of the sons of Korah. So um, dropping that, it, I mean, to me, it, it's like, well, hang on a second. So this is set apart differently from the first five. And uh, 
you, you know, like you said, like, you know, is it, is it a musical direction? Is it just, is it just like this one's got a different tune? Cause this one's structured a little bit differently as we saw it is. Um, yep. it, it's actually really cool the way it's structured. So it might just be that, um, you know, it might also yep. be that, uh, it's, it's striking. If you do combine, this is a thought I had. If you combine 42 and 43, that means you have one, two, three, four, five at the beginning of the book that are to the choir master. And anytime you have five things that start off a book, you're thinking Pentateuch, right? So like, I, I do wonder also if, if maybe that's getting at something like that. Like this is kind of meant to be like kind of the next phase uh, or something along those lines. So I, I don't know. I just, you know, uh, you mentioned a couple of things with like, you know, um, like Sela, for, for example, and there's, there's lots of ideas with this stuff and it's really hard to pin any of it down too precisely. Exactly. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, there's a new, um, uh, Concordia commentary, uh, that uh, on the Psalms and, and, and he really gets into a lot of the, the professor who, who does that. Uh, gets gets into a lot of the, that information, and, and it's quite quite a, an excellent commentary. Uh, it's the new one on the Psalter, or probably a, multiple volumes. Might be two volumes. Yeah, you know what? That's actually that's one of the ones I haven't I have not grabbed yet. But yeah, no, yeah. So there's there's Psalms. It's one to one to fifty. Well, that's a shame that that uh, I don't have that one in front of me there. But yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, that was just released this past summer here. So. Yeah, no, it's, uh, no, and, and, and who was that there? It was, uh, it was, oh, hey, of course, well, of course it is. I, I knew that. <laughs> it's uh, Dr. Timothy Seleska at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis, um, my professor that I had for the Psalms. <laughs> so, yeah, and he, and uh, he is, uh, you know, I, I was told by brothers, brother pastors that were reading it, they said that yeah. he really knows you know, different types of meter and, and different types of, of uh, you know, um, forms of literature, you know, in this particular case. So he's, he's very, very, it's a very, very good commentary. And, and, and maybe, and again, though, perhaps like we are, there, there's just, maybe we're just, all we can do is just simply speculate as to uh, what uh, these directions were. But we know that they were intended to be sung, Right. And uh, yeah. I think it's I, it's commendable that you and, and your daughters are are singing these psalms. You know, it, it's so easy. To, you know, we could we can um, uh, sing like the monks of the Middle Ages, and because because yeah. chanting is very easy to learn. It is. It, it is, and it's uh, such a joy. Um, and not only is it easy to learn, it's actually easier to learn the psalms. When you chant them, it's 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 a paradox. I feel like because it's like you add more information and complexity, and it becomes easier to memorize. But like I just I just hear my daughter. I mean, like my four year old, just from hearing me like uh, several times this past week, it's like she actually has like half of Psalm four memorized, like just spontaneously. It's uh, it's amazing. But uh, before I digress and just talk about my daughters for uh, the next half hour uh it's time for our break uh, everybody hang on we're looking at psalm 48 here on thy strong word we'll be right back These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. 
But they need our help because Good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Psalm 48. Unfortunately, this one is pre-recorded, so no live questions today. Uh, but hopefully we'll um, have a chance to get back into some uh, more uh, live questions and answers real soon. I really do appreciate all of you guys who follow along on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get that posted at least on Facebook when uh, this does go um, on the air. Joined today by our guest, Pastor David Boyce Clare, pastor at Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word, their website, lhfmissions.org. So uh, we were just talking up Dr. Tim Seleska's commentary on the first 50 Psalms, and uh, it's talking about what kind of commission we think we can get. Just kidding. <laughs> and uh, now I have to check that out because I got to say, like, uh, Dr. Seleska actually at the seminary was uh, one of the guys who really opened my eyes to really the linguistics of Hebrew. And um, I mean, I mean, like all my Hebrew professors did, of course, but um, he, he particularly really, um, I mean, just, just pointed me in the direction of some stuff that was really interesting. Um, so even though I, I, I foremost work in Greek, um, it, it was early ever since I think I took that, um, that advanced class with him. Um, that, that is to say that, that after the MDiv, uh, when I was going on to post MDiv work, it was after after that class with him that I was like, "Hang on, there's there's a lot going on in Hebrew, just as much as there is going on uh, with Greek." But um, one dissertation at a time, right? So, uh, well, in, yeah. in, any uh, ex exegetical theologian should yeah. uh, should also be adept at both Hebrew and Greek. Of course, I'm I'm like like you. I I uh, uh, really really am interested in have worked much with the Greek, but but the Hebrew, you know, to, to also at least be somewhat conversant with the yeah. Hebrew is that's important right. because that's what the Bible's written in. <laughs> more more of the Bible's in Hebrew than it is in that's, Greek. That's but. right. It's like like uh, something like three quarters of the Bible or something like that. So I yeah. guess God likes Hebrew or something. So maybe maybe we should do. But <laughs> but so uh, speaking of Hebrew, let's look a little bit at the Hebrew. So um, in verse two in the Hebrew, which is our verse one, because we just didn't feel like putting verse numbers on the superscriptions. That makes sense, I guess. Um, it starts off with the word uh, great, uh, gadol, um, and then the name of the Lord. You actually have Yahweh there. So, uh, right, you're right that in Psalm, uh, the, the second book of the Psalms, Elohim is sort of the predominant uh, term. But yes. it's uh, as we've seen in these first several Korahite Psalms, uh, the name of God is not excluded by any means. Um, and here, in fact, it's, it's very prominent. It's um, it, it's it's just it's just cool. I, I like how at the beginning you have, uh, and I, I like the ESV's translation here because it gets the poetic structure right. Um, that you have this, uh, you know, great is the Lord, um, and then you know, um, to be praised, 
greatly. Um, it's not the same word, but it does form a, like a nice little, you know, crisscross pattern like that. Yes, a, chi- a chiasm, I guess they call they call that. It, that's crisscross pattern, yeah. and, and it's a it, it um, uh, is a you know one of the. I just wanted to mention about the name Yahweh, of course, Yod Hey Wow Hey, the, the tetragrammaton, the uh, yeah. the divine name. Uh, that that's kind of a uh, uh, a prerequisite for the people of God as they recognize the fact that these uh, books were God's word uh, by the fact of the name of God being in the book. Uh, that's hmm. that's kind of like in order for them to distinguish them uh, from maybe uh, what do we call the apocrypha. Um, right. You know the, the the presence of of Yahweh, the name of Yahweh, and so even here when when Elohim, which is uh, God, um, is used, uh, even even Yahweh makes its appearance at times in in these psalms. Yeah, it's that's right, and um, and, and when it does, it's a uh, pretty potent. Uh, I, I mean, you, you can't just take it for granted. It's like, well, hang on a second. We don't we don't see the name of God used so freely. Uh, it's not like, you know, the first, say, like uh, five psalms of book one, right, where it's like every stanza seems to have the name of God. Um, so when it does show up, you, you take note of it. And yeah. um, and, and so then you, you take a look at this. Okay, here's my, here's my, my terrible thought that I just had. Um, so, you know, Kai, right, that's a letter of Greek, right? So shouldn't we in Hebrew be talking about like a Taoism instead? Oh, yeah, that's, um, that's the, <laughs> I don't. Isn't that like the letter in like the Paleo script that actually kind of looks like an X? I don't. I don't remember. I'm probably no, no, wrong. no. That would uh, that would be. Um, uh, let's see. Not Ein. Uh, it's. Uh, um, yeah, I. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. There, there's there's a, there's a bad joke. Hopefully, on our flat. professors but, aren't listening to us. Yeah, I know. That's right, hey, Doctor Celeste, don't be listening. Like oh, I taught you. I taught you the Paleo script. Um, <laughs> But um, so so you have this starting off with with Gadol um, with great, and uh, you know, I, I think I think it's it's deliberate for a number of reasons, and I think that it it kind of gets paired up then in um, well well you, you have right the description in the city of our God um, His holy mountain, and then the next verse you know beautiful then comes up with the uh, with the the first word of the next one, um, but. But it's um, beautiful, you know, I'm not, it's, it's, it's intriguing. It's like kind of the way they translate it here. Not, not that I have a better translation for it, but it's like kind of beautiful in elevation, right? So it's interesting to me that that it's kind of great a little bit in a literal way, because this is great that can mean just big, you know, like grande. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and so it's kind of like playing on that, I think, that it's like, you know, yeah, God is, you know, great in power and reputation and all, all the rest. But um, he is kind of literally great in, insofar as he's made his dwelling on this great big mountain here. And, and you and you also have it's the joy of the all the earth. You know, it, just like in the psalm before, it says he's the king of all the earth. So there is yeah. a uh, you know it extends beyond the people of Israel, but also to all of the inhabitants of the earth. He's not only the God of Israel, and and see that's kind of the point that's made at least at this particular time. Every nation has their own God, uh, and so right. you know if you want to get in touch with this God, you got to go to Babylon or or, or to uh, Hatti or, uh, uh, but but in this case, uh, you know. Yahweh is is telling us that he is also uh, 
uh, the God of all the earth. So, so it, it, since it is his city, the city that uh, he had uh, the, his people establish, that it is the joy of all the earth, all everywhere, and all people. Well, yeah, so, so it's a very, you know, this big perspective, right? Um, and, and I think that his, the bit about his holy mountain, it complements what you're saying, not that it's like, oh, well, like, you know, this is his mountain over here, and, you know, maybe this other god's got his other mountain over here, right? Um, but just that, that kind of holy mountain image, the idea being this is like the place where earth, like the whole earth meets heaven. So like being this big yeah. um, intersection point, I think just underscores the idea that, that there's this point. really big Very thing going point. on here. It's a big intersection. It's a big town. Exactly. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, I got to stop doing that. I, I'm not even, I'm not no, even it's, sure it's that Tau is the Aleph, one. But Aleph is the one that is like an X. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the first I'll, letter. Well, well, okay. So, so it is. It is in the Babylonian script or the Aramaic script, right? Um, yeah. Like oh, the yes, block exactly. letters, but in the Paleo script. <laughs> okay. Oh, in the in the ancient Hebrew script, it's, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. No mm-hmm. one wants to hear about that. Let's let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Um, so go, so going ahead then. Um, interest. I don't, I don't know if you have any thought on this. It says in the far north, the city of the great king. I, I don't know. I. It just struck me as like uh, kind of odd. I, I think. I mean, because I always think of Judah as the south. I think of Jerusalem as the south. Um, and when I think of like mountains in the far north, I think of uh, Zephon, right? Which is, uh, if I'm not getting my wires crossed, the word for uh, north <laughs> that just refers to like these these mountains that are up north, further, much further north than um, Jerusalem in terms of like relative. Right, geography. and that's the word that's used uh, in here. That, oh, yeah, I mean, and, yeah. In fact, yeah, right. So, free. so that's kind of weird to me because it's like that. It has these kind of, um, I mean, you know, bales of phone. I mean, there's like, uh, you know, pagan connotations uh, a little bit. So it's just, it just struck me as, I mean, I don't know. Anything to make of that? Well, well, I mean, the the bale, of course, it is just the the name Lord. Uh, yeah. But Zaphon is just like a, na- a place name, and, and obviously maybe a, a place that's in the far north. So, so uh, there there isn't, you know, it's interesting how they dealt with that as as scripture was written, and then and then uh, maybe somebody has the name of Baal in them, uh, like uh, the son of Jonathan, the uh, son of Saul, yeah. you know, uh, Prince Jonathan, David's friend. Uh, his son was uh, Mephibosheth, but his it was actually Meribal, and then they did put. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, Bosheth in there, which was his shame. But in this particular case, right. it, it it would be uh, the the word for north. You know, in other words, Zaphon. Uh, you know, and uh, Baal Zephon would be maybe Lord of the North or something. Right. If if you yeah, if they like had the, used the, the word Baal, yeah. Right. Kind of like uh, in, in the title, like uh, the Hall of the Mountain King or something like that. Right. The yeah. Mountain King, right. Lord of the Mountain. Something like that, but yeah, and, and maybe it maybe it is actually just kind of um, trying to use it in kind of a more uh, literal sense, where it's like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, Jerusalem is north of, I mean, you know, all of the territory of Judah, right? And so, from from a it's kind of interesting from a Judite perspective, it's up in the north, right? Um, and so there's a kind of literal there. But by using that terminology, which can get claimed by these, you know, pagan sources, it's kind of like saying, like, yeah, well, you know what, our God is that too. Like he's over all of that. Like there is no, right. you know, other God up there in the north. No, our God is it. Um, so right. maybe there's something even like, maybe a little bit polemical there. Um, but I think I, I think want that to make sure kind of point to when when the psalm was written, uh, like you said, uh, oh, that, okay. when, yeah. that was after the the, the divided kingdom. 
So, so definitely, yeah. it's the north of Judah. So that's the north side of our nation. Yeah. No, I actually hadn't made that connection, but yeah, like if you, if you really are thinking just kind of narrowly, like this is Judah, right? You know, maybe like uh, right around the time of Hezekiah, then that that could actually make sense and, and point to that yeah. um, historically. Um, so okay, so here's where you're really historical. Then, so uh, you know, the kings assembled, they came together, um, they were astounded, they were in panic, took to flight. Um, by the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. So. Um, so you're thinking that maybe this is a description of what happened with Assyria. See, I, I get that on the first part. They were astounded. They went into panic. They took to flight. I mean, that's almost exactly how it's described in Isaiah um, with those sorts of words. Um, what do you think of this, like, east wind, though, like the ships of Tarshish? Well, the, the ships of Tarshish, Tarshish was a location that was probably in uh, Spain, uh, you know, uh, of of the European continent. And it's sort of like in the other end of the Mediterranean Sea. And if you look at the uh, book of Jonah, of the prophet Jonah, he, he takes ship for Tarshish. Uh, the Phoenicians were, were seafaring peoples, and so they would, they would sail their ships all the way to the edge of the known world, to Tarshish. And so, uh, in, in a sense, uh, you know, you have... In other words, God, who is the Lord of nature, uh, you know, having his way with uh, any any human attempts at trying to, um, you know, be in control of the of the earth. And so, you know, like and, and, and it's interesting, you, you have that 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 Jonah thought he could escape from God by going to Tarshish. But uh, God, of right. course, sent a sent a storm to uh, uh, kind of put a stop to that. Well, and I think that's really helpful that you mentioned the Jonah connection there, because I, mean, I, I do think this is, uh, I think I remember reading about this, that because um, Tarshish, it, it happens, uh, it comes up a number of times in the Old Testament, but never with like that much precision, I feel like. And so I think, I think it's to your point, like when you say Tarshish, it's sort of like, I don't know, like, I, I feel like people sometimes still say it. Maybe it was just like, on the cartoons that I watched as a kid, but you know, they'd say like, you know, Timbuktu or something like that. Right. Like, you know, I'll right. send you to Timbuktu. Right. Um, and, and it was just kind of like, you know, uh, no one knows like, what well, <laughs> not no one, but like, I feel like no one off the top of their head in America anyway, knows where Timbuktu is or what, what on earth it, you know, that refers to. It's just, it sounds really, really far away. And so <laughs> I, I kind of feel like Tarshish is that in Hebrew that if you just want to say right. like, you know, to Timbuktu, you say Tarshish. Um, because it's not like even if you said Spain, like anybody would know what you're talking about anyway, except that it's really far away. So, um, so, so I wonder if uh, if the point there talking about the east wind, because um, that could easily refer, I think, to Assyria, um, just as like the uh, right. Mesopotamian river was a metaphor in Isaiah for the Assyrians. So, like, I, I yes. wonder if the point is like, hey, you know, you you used the Assyrians to conquer the whole known earth to its furthest edges to Timbuktu. And yet, um, as powerful as Assyria was, you sent them into chaos and confusion to save us. I, I mean, do you think that maybe that's the move poetically? Yeah, I think that, I think that's a very good take on this. Yes. And, 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 and that's, it's a, that, you know, it, it, it also emphasizes that God is the Lord of all the earth. You know, and, and he's, right. he, you know, you think you think you're going somewhere that he isn't, you know, like the other psalm that says, you know, even if I were to go into the depths of the sea, still you are there and your hand is guiding yep. me and leading me. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think that's pretty cool then, because actually, so we we read these names like we you know it's a phone in Tarshish, and we're like, um, that's very Semitic or something. You know, it's one of these regional weird idiosyncrasies. But right. it's the uh, actually maybe Scripture's way of using particular names to emphasize, like you were saying, the universality of it all um, by by kind of invoking these faraway places. Like it actually kind of has this um, kind of rings a certain way um, in, in the ears of uh, the Hebrews listening to this in the first place to this to Scorahite sing this right um and, and and kind of speaking again of the of the setting so we have our first um is this the first one the first uh uh sila sila comment here um yeah it's the it only one in like the song roughly, yeah. yeah it seems to roughly split the thing in half i don't right. know if there's anything right. to make of that um but but once you once you have that um it does seem to shift a little bit. Now you have the specific mention of the temple in verse 9, um, the name of God. So there's a couple of other themes that are now explicitly mentioned here. Yes, and, and um, you know, it, it, as it, it may be that, see, usually when Selah is put there, it's like a change of emphasis, like you just said. In other words, say yeah. we're going to get a different, different um, uh, twist on this. You know, now we're going to yeah. now we're going to uh, go and and speak of the temple of God. Right. Yeah. So so you have these other um, themes that are getting brought in. Of course, things that would have been implicitly with you know Mount Zion. I mean, no one heard Mount Zion without thinking of you know the Temple Mount and you know everything else. Um, it's a place. Inside, it's a place no. where Abraham uh, almost sacrificed his son Isaac. We know that from mm. uh, when, when, in First uh, Chronicles uh, or Second Chronicles, where or it's First Chronicles, where it speaks about the building of the temple. That that yeah. that is the that is the mountain of Moria, where where Abraham uh, almost sacrificed his son Isaac. So it, it has a it's a very sacred place to God. And his people. Well, I mean, right, just to, to go all the way back to Abraham, right, Father Abraham, you know, to, to think of the reverence in uh, that culture and to this day in, in Semitic cultures uh, for ancestors and, uh, you know, fathers and those who are older and, and all the rest of it in traditional cultures in general. Um, so, so you have then uh, these kinds of names and ideas being invoked and, and, and kind of with that all in mind, I just, I just love the way it's uh, verses 12 and 13 here. Just walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go to her citadels. Um, it, it's it's very it's this nice flowing uh, speech where it's just kind of like you know, look at all this stuff, you know, and and say this is God. And uh, I, I don't know, on, on the one hand, it's just like you know you're just kind of thinking of golden Jerusalem, right? You know, and of course we have a hymn like that. Um, on the other hand, it's an interesting contrast with say <laughs> the disciples who uh, in the Lord's Day are like, Lord, look at these beautiful stones, right? You know, walk about Zion. Oh, yeah. Number her, her towers. And the Lord says, not this is God. He says, this is going to be broken down into pieces. Exactly. Uh, you know, there will not be one stone left upon another, you know. So to get put it in the right perspective, that it, it, it there is the importance of, of being... Uh, true to our God. And then in, in verse 10, of course, it speaks about his hand is filled with righteousness, not only a righteousness or holiness of, uh, you know, following the law of God, but rather the righteousness he gives us in Jesus Christ by faith. Uh, that, that is the righteousness which avails before him. 
Right. And I think that that's, I mean, that really takes us right back to the revelation stuff, right? That there was a, uh, an increasing division and a gap that shouldn't have been there between on, on the one hand, um, look at this, you know, beautiful, look at all these beautiful stones, right? And then the righteousness of God that the two are meant to go, you know, hand in glove. Um, but there was this, uh, this division where increasingly the, the beauty and the power and the wealth was apostate Jerusalem um, and faithful, uh, faithful Jerusalem that relied on the righteousness of God was a poor, neglected, you know, um, you know, tattered uh, Mount Zion. So, exactly. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that that's a good way of uh, looking at it here. And I mean, interesting too, the construction in 14, I feel like this doesn't happen that often that you have, um, yeah, this is God. Um, it, it's striking to have that like, kind of like that very pointing language, right? This is God, our God forever and ever. Cause like on the one hand, I mean, that kind of sounds like, Hey, look, like this is the place. God's never going to let this place get taken. Right. Um, which, which can sound kind of like I me mean, the opposite of what we've been talking about. But, but then um, in, in the final bit there by saying, uh, you know, he will guide us forever. That is an emphatic uh, he in, in the Hebrew there. You actually have uh, that, that emphatic uh, focal pronoun there in the Hebrew where it says, you know, who. Uh, yeah. Kiza, Elohim. Yeah. Well, yeah, so you got the Kizeh, Elohim, right? Like, the, this is God, right? Which is striking all by itself. Uh, so, Kizeh, Elohim, Eloheinu, Olam. Eloheinu, Olam. Right. Yeah, that's, so uh, that's our God uh, of all. Forever. Of, yeah, well, Olam wide, so forever and ever. But then in the next sentence, right, he will guide us, right? That emphatic who there. Um, that... I feel like kind of actually kind of answers the question, like saying like the, the, the point is not like, you know, this is God, like, you know, this, this, this temple's never going down because it's, it's just too special, this particular place on the globe, but rather, um, you know, God is, is here and this, this is the God, right? Like it's kind of, it's almost more like that, like almost like, you know, this is the God, the one who's ours um, forever and ever who will guide us, right? Like that the emphasis really is, um, you can focus on the particular, um, like the, the places like, you know, Zephon or, or Jerusalem or Zion or, or Tarshish or whatever, not because it's like a local God that's chained to that spot, but because that's the spot where this real particular God, the real God of the whole universe, where you find him, and which is the great, you know, mystery, how this universal cosmic God is in these particular places, which is our, like, like you were getting at, um, our incarnational theology of, of Christ and the sacraments and the rest. Yeah, and, and, and it is in the sacraments, the word in the sacraments and the gospel that we find that's where God promises to be, and he's there. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's kind of what, what we have now. It's, you know, you have the, this history of the Old Testament. Look at all, all of these things, the ramparts. The, the, it, this is what God give, gives us, and he is the one who is the true power of of all that he provides. Uh, a- amen. Um, o- only thing that I might want to add is that uh, that the last word uh, or the last two words, depending on how you count, of the Hebrew is very striking. I-, I don't know if there's any other place in the Psalms where it ends this way, but it, at least in the Mas- the Masoretic text that we have, it doesn't actually say again um, forever, but it says um, you know almut, which 
literally is uh, up, up, up to, unto death or something like this, right. which is, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the, uh, the commentators and the people who study this stuff say, yeah, it's probably like Lao Lam and they, or Lao La Moat and something got dropped out, right? Which makes a lot of sense, but it's provocative. I think getting back to our, you know, comments about Christ that, you know, like he, he guide, he, he enters into even, um, our death and goes unto death, even on a cross. And, uh, he guides us even through that. So just, I think compliments what you were just saying. Very but. good. Very good. Um, allusion there. Yeah. Because usually you think it'd be our death. Well, he will be with us, our guide, even unto death or unto right. our death. But guess what? We're not going to die. I will not die, but live, but re- and declare the praises of the Lord. And, and it's because the Lord Jesus went through death and conquered it and, and abolished it. Amen. Amen. Brother, thank you so much. Always enjoy our conversations. Uh, God bless you and the brothers and sisters there in uh, Pine Lawn. And looking forward to having you on again real soon. And and God be with you and your family, too, with the new edition, God willing. Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor David Boyce Clare, pastor at Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Uh, Like I said, hopefully get into some of the live questions and answers again real soon. Till then, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.